0: Welcome, everybody, to the X-Factor podcast. I am your uh, co-host, riding shotgun along beside the brains of the operation, uh, Mr. The Great, His Majesty, whatever uh, surname you prefer to use uh, with his title, uh, The Great John Rennie, as I call him. John, say hello to everybody.
1: Hello, Coach Brew, how are you today?
0: Uh, I said I say hello to everybody. Hello to everybody. Hello, right? There you go. Hello, Coach Brew. Uh, I'm fabulous, thanks for asking. And uh, manning the controls of this pirate ship is the DFE, our uh, fabulous show producer and intern. Never trust a man with two first names. Cool. What's Last up,
2: name? everyone? <laughs>
0: So uh, he's low energy like Jeb Bush. <laughs> What's up, everyone? Please clap. Please clap. All right. All right I'll, I'll wake so, up. I'll wake up. There we go. He's not fully caffeinated yet like the rest of us.
2: Oh, so we are.
0: Caffeinated. What are we talking about today? We were talking about, you know, a. Uh, you know, every week on this podcast, we talk about the X Factor. And for those of you tuning in for the first time who might not know what the X Factor is, I'm going to let John Rennie explain that to you.
1: Yeah, the X Factor. These are, these are people, companies, industries, th- people that are doing things above and beyond and are actually changing uh, history and making a difference. And so we're going to feature, uh, whether it's uh, entrepreneurs, whether it's musicians, whether it's um, uh, inventors, people who are changing the game. And, uh, and that's what this podcast is all about. And, uh, we're looking for, and we're going to talk about those people that are really changing the game in their industries.
0: It would be safe to say that we are, uh, featuring stadium status leaders from all walks of life.
1: Stadium status leaders from all walks of life. Absolutely. And what is stadium status by the way, coach Brew? That's a great,
0: fabulous book from what a year.
1: Yes, it is. Absolutely. It's actually one of my favorite books. And I'm not just saying that because we're on the podcast together. You got me so fired up, I might go read it. I might buy it and read it myself. Well, let's just say that there's one idea in that book that gained me a million dollars of business in my manufacturing business, which is peak demand. And uh, so that book is, at least in my mind, worth a million dollars.
0: It really is. So- but so anyways, you, go, we, you can go to coachbrew.com and take a look at all my books. No free shout outs, but you can go to coachbrew.com and take a look at all my books. Yes. Um, stadium including, status great one. Yeah, including stadium status. So what are
1: we talking about on the pod today? We are going to talk about some musicians that uh, have the... Sell out stadiums? These are musicians who, who crush it. Crush it. In fact, who I'm going to talk about today actually set a Guinness... Uh, guinness world record for the highest amount of money paid for one appearance in in a uh in a concert
0: well is that the guys that did the mbop song no
1: that's the hansen brothers who are uh run a microbrewery right now who uh you know could possibly be a sponsor of the show not to
0: be confused with the Hanson brothers from the movie Slapshot, which i'm confident parker never saw Wow, Slap Shot—that is
1: actually one of my favorite movies of all times, and I haven't seen it in a long time. Maybe that should be an assignment for this week—is for because it's 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 cold. We're in—we're uh, recording this in December. Hockey uh, maybe, season, eh? Hey, it's hockey season, eh? So, Parker, that might be a good assignment actually for the, all the three of us is we should watch Slap Shot and come back, and we should have an episode just on Slap Shot well, because it, that that was definitely a, a
2: Next Factor kind of movie. It looks like it was the is it the 1977 one because it looks like when i was looking it up online there's two of them really i don't remember what i 77 i don't know
0: well that was 80s. but there, there can't be two there's only <laughs> one slap shot Hold on. I'm, I'm, paul newman
2: oh yeah here it is yeah paul newman in the small New England town of Charlestown, the local mill is about to lay off 10,000 workers. That's like, the, the, I guess, the setting of the story.
0: Was it Charlestown, Mass? I thought it was Charlestown, West Virginia. No, it says uh, in the small New England town of It's got to Charl- be Charlestown, Mass, outside of Boston, yeah. Um, this is a day in the life with Parker, by the way, folks. If uh, you're new to the podcast, you don't know this. Parker is a... Um, Well, I often think maybe he actually just crawled out from under a rock or escaped an Amish family and uh, is now um, like a naturalized citizen for the first time because you name the pop culture reference, the band, the movie, and cue up the crickets chirping sound effect with Parker. He's like, hmm, never heard of that number of
1: Jesus disciples. I don't know. Any, any sort Nine.
2: Of- <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I I'm quoting so.
0: Top Gun earlier and Parker has never seen Top Gun. That's probably all you need to know. That sums it up nicely. So uh, today we're actually going to be talking music and X-Factor uh, entertainers. And John, you said you had one that set a Guinness book record and it wasn't the Umbap guys.
1: No, so I'm going to be talking about Eddie Van Halen. I mean, rest in peace, Eddie. He uh, he died in October uh, this year, 2020, the worst year in history. We lost Eddie Van Halen, but I'm going to talk a little bit about him. But yeah, just to you know, a little spoiler alert. He actually uh, the Van Halen was booked for a concert in uh, 1983, and they were paid 1.5 million just to play at that festival in 1983. And that uh, if you take that, what are we worth today? It would be four million dollars uh, in today's dollars was paid just to show up with the four man band, uh, to play, you know, four or five songs and that's it. And there was $4 million right there. So that to me is an X-Factor, uh, person that's an X-Factor musician. And that's who I chose to talk about today. And, uh, yeah, John, love, coach Brew, love to bottle that up is? and oh, sell it.
0: Right. Love to be able to yeah, bottle well, I mean, up that's, that secret that's sauce. That's the X-Factor, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, uh, coach Brew, who are you going to talk about today in terms of uh, X-Factor musician?
0: Yeah, I am going to talk about the uh, the one and the only uh, Mr. Eric Ooh. Church. Ooh, and I'm not cursing. I did not just use an expletive. I am merely quoting what it says on the concert T-shirt at his merch booth. Mm. It literally reads "Eric bleeping Church," and it is the most popular T-shirt he sells. Mm because it says eric effing church uh so parker can bleep that out and add a little beep but yeah uh, oh, eric church oh, oh, oh. is a, I it hurts his sensitive ears um that might be the first time he's heard that word john
1: could be he just uh crawled out of the uh, amish community <laughs> that was the best <laughs> so um Uh, You know,
0: he, I think is the, uh, epitome of stadium status, uh, because of the way he did it. I also think Eddie Van Halen is the epitome of stadium status, having that X factor because of the way he did his thing too. Mm. Neither of these guys, uh, followed, uh, anyone else's route to success. They blazed their own trail, uh, both literally and figuratively uh, and kind of did it the hard way, you know? Um, so let's talk about Van Halen first because I have a funny and embarrassing Van Halen story for you.
1: Oh, I'm going to love to hear that. So, uh, and, uh, I don't know if I have a funny or embarrassing, but I definitely have some history with Van Halen growing up in the eighties. Uh, they were an influence. They were part of the soundtrack of my life. That's for sure. But what's interesting about, uh, Eddie Van Halen is, uh, you know, tremendous success. And we'll talk about that. And, um, but he, he really left his mark on the rock and roll world, right? But he grew up, basically, he couldn't, he, he, he grew up very poor. He immigrated from uh, Amsterdam and came to the U.S. when he was only seven years old. And the thing is, everybody knows he's an amazing musician, but he actually couldn't read sheet music. His, his mom wanted him to be a concert pianist, and he took piano lessons. Uh, and the, the way he learned how to play piano was actually memorizing the finger movements of his instructor. Are, and he yeah. he he didn't he couldn't even read music. He basically learned it by just watching your fingers and he just had a natural ear for music. So, you know, people think Eddie Van Halen he must have, you know, been rich and is successful. He started w- with absolutely nothing and no ability to even read music. So that's, I think, is pretty amazing because a lot of times we think, well, I'm nobody. How can I be? successful as an entrepreneur, I'm nobody. How can I be successful yeah. as a leader? How can I get my brand to grow? I'm nobody. Well, let me tell you, uh, Eddie Van Halen started out as a complete and utter nobody. His parents came to the US with $50 and a piano and they immigrated into California and they had absolutely nothing. So it just goes to show you where, what you can achieve with very you know, humble
0: roots. Why the hell would you immigrate across the pond? with like schlepping a piano with you yeah that was a fun fact i didn't know about (laughs) that is weird you're not gonna understand taking a guitar shipping costs and just like inconvenience and lugging that like that's expensive piano and i'm not even talking about like the actual device itself
1: yeah so they they came over in 1962 and so you can imagine what it cost to ship that piano in it but the um, uh, Eddie's father was a concert clarinetist who, who worked in, you know, played in all sorts of different bands when he was in Europe. And his mom wanted his, the, him and his brother, Eddie and his brother, Alex, to become concert pianist, they, classical pianist. They were, they he, How do you spell that? Uh, it's a p i a n i s t. Okay.
0: I just want to make sure that everyone knows that you're talking about piano I'm about
1: a piano
0: ist yeah
1: not spencer's gifts
0: or whatever is in the back of spencer's gifts that we talked about in a previous episode
1: uh yeah so, so it's
0: interesting like can you imagine that conversation that the van halen boys had with their parents when they immigrated yeah like really we have to take the piano like come on can't we just throw like a little y- a portable yamaha keyboard in a backpack do we really it's gonna be embarrassing traveling with a piano yes yeah
1: They travel with a piano makes no sense unless that's the X factor. Yeah. So, so interesting. The, uh, you know, everybody knows Eddie Van Halen's famous for his guitar playing. That's what he's known for, but his, and his brother was always the drummer in the band. Uh, Van Halen, Alex was a, was a drummer, but originally when they start off playing together, um, Eddie played the drums and Alex played guitar, which is really interesting. And, um, what uh, Eddie found out later on that Alex um, was using his drum set whenever Eddie was gone and he was becoming really good on the drums and he decided he wanted oh, this to This is drums. like
0: from the movie Step Brothers. Don't touch my drum set.
1: That's it. It's exactly 100%. Yeah, so well, I thought that was kind of interesting. Sure, you know what, off my drum set. <laughs> oh, yeah, Parker knows so, that. Let me, Parker.
0: let me ask you this, John. Hmm. At what point in their professional career or journey do you think they were no longer a disappointment to their world-class mm-hmm. pianist parents? That's a great because, question. So like every parent has these certain aspirations for their kid. Oh, my kid to be a doctor, a lawyer, a dentist, you know, an accountant, whatever. Like they wanted their kids to be pianists. Right. Right. And they started a rock band. Yes. That yeah. like, if you're into classical piano, rock probably just sounds like noise feedback and like feedback's part of the deal it's part of the artistry but it probably just sounded like noise to them i really wonder at what point they were no longer disappointed so you know you can imagine you have a you have
1: a your father is a concert clarinetist right your mom wants you to be to play piano classical piano And you start a rock band and you sign your first album in 1978 that you put out. And the name of that album was called Van Halen, sold 10 million copies. He was 23 years old. So you know that his parents were still alive, right? And he was following some crazy dream of starting a rock band. And in uh, 1978, they sold 10 million copies. And by the way, uh, what's interesting about the story is that they played like they 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 were poor broke band when they when they formed Van Halen they played all the bars and clubs in California and it was only one night that they were playing in a uh, a concert and it just so happens Gene Simmons from the band Kiss happened to be in the audience that day and said holy cow these guys are amazing and he flew them directly to New York and to help them make a demo tape of 12 songs which is really how they launched into their fame
0: now didn't he try and get them on his record label he was starting a record label at some point so he was starting
1: a record label and van halen was rejected by his record label and actually signed with a different record record label which is interesting so so Gene Simmons really discovered that. I hope them. he
0: fired his A and R
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. so can you imagine? You know, they, they they didn't they didn't sign him. So this is another story about you know the X factor. Sometimes you're going to come up and you're going to get rejection, right? You think that you got a great brand, you got a great product, and yeah. then the first time you try to sell it to a big company, you get rejected. So you think, well, woe is me. Well, guess what? Someone else signs Van Halen. They go on to send their first album ever. They send they sell ten million copies. What year it. was that? It was
0: 1978. So Okay. So fun story before that. Um, I believe it was shortly before that uh, Van Halen was opening for Ted Nugent. Mm. And as they were traveling to these different arenas uh, on, you know, Ted's tour, he would, uh, you know, they'd all go to the, the venue for the sound check and, um, during the sound check, Ted Nugent's kind of just like sitting side stage as uh Van Halen's like checking out his guitar and he was Nugent's just blown away by what he heard coming out of the amp and this is like really before they blew up and they just started packing venues all over the world on their own you know headlining tour and uh he just started to get really curious like that's interesting what's what kind of guitar is it? What kind of amp is it? You know, um, because this combination is an, it's an incredible sound. And uh, he thought maybe it was like using some kind of electronic hack or a special you know, device to alter the sound. So after Van Halen did their sound check, um, Nugent just asked him, he's like, Hey, Eddie, uh, can I borrow your Stratocaster and, and try it out? So he takes the guitar and he picked it up and he starts playing it. And a funny thing happened. Ted Nugent sounded exactly like Ted Nugent. (laughs) He didn't sound anything like Eddie Van Halen, even though he's using Van Halen's amp and guitar. But the funny thing was at the same time, Eddie is now like side stage and he's just messing around with uh, Nugent's equipment and Nugent had a Gibson Birdland, Birdland guitar. So, He plugged it into Nugent's Fender amp and started playing it. And he sounded exactly like Eddie Eddie Van Halen. Halen. (laughs) (laughs) And so I heard this interview. uh, Ted Nugent was interviewed on a podcast called the Eddie Trunk Podcast. And I heard this story. And that's when Nugent just said, he's he's like, here's this kid who taught me a huge lesson. You know, I'm like the seasoned veteran and they're opening for us. He's like, he taught me this huge lesson, like you create your own sound, you create your own brand and like your audience gravitates to you because you're being uniquely you, you know, it's not the equipment. What's the old saying? It's not the wand. It's the magician, right?
1: Yeah.
0: Um, but it's got to be coming from your hands and your heart. So I just thought that was the coolest story you know, Van Halen could pick up any piece of crap guitar, plug it into an amp is going to sound like Van Halen. Yeah. There's yeah, so little to do with the equipment. And the funny thing was, um, and I'll quote, I'm going to quote uh, Nugent in a second here, but the funny thing is like so often entrepreneurs, you know, athletes, whoever is, um, you know, trying to hone their craft and get better and compete they try and copy someone else or they aspire to be like so-and-so as opposed to doing their own thing. And the two people we chose to talk about in this podcast, absolutely 100% did their own thing and that's why they're so successful. They weren't trying to be the next someone else, the next so-and-so. They were just trying to be the best Eddie Van Halen or the best Eric Church, you know? Uh, So here's the cool thing. This is a quote from Ted Nugent on that podcast. When you practice your balls off, when you dedicate yourself to be the very best you can be, which describes every musician that you and I love, it's you, not even the Fenders or the Gibsons. It's you coming through your musical vision and the attack of the instrument. You could have an amp and a guitar. Don't change any of the settings and put 10 of your favorite guitar players on that set, and it will sound just like each individual. Mm -hmm. I think that sums it up. Like you got to do you, you got to do you.
1: You got to find your own voice, and that's you know yep. that's. And I'll say that's for every entrepreneur, every leader, everyone that's trying to be an author, or anyone who's starting a podcast. You got to find your own voice. Don't be, don't be Joe Rogan when you start a podcast. You're never going to be Joe Rogan. Joe, there's only one Joe Rogan, and, and find your own voice. And that's a really important lesson here. And uh, and this one thing about about uh, the people we're gonna talk about on the show is that the people that are going their own direction, they change industries based on them being them and not trying to be someone else. They are uniquely them. Uh, And Eddie was that kind of individual. Uh, He built his own guitar. I mean, the the Frankenstrap is very famous. You know, in the 80s, you saw this, you know, red and black and white striped guitar that he would play on stage. And it was a hand-built thing and it was interesting, the reason he built it is he, he wanted to get a specific sound that he couldn't get from any guitar that he could find. So he he was trying to get the, uh, the physical attributes of a, um, um, I guess, of a, a Stratocaster, but he wanted the sound of a Gibson. So he combined these two when mm-hmm. he built this, what he called the Frankenstrat. And that's where he got this unique, really unique sound and uh, something that no one had ever done before. And what's interesting I learned is that the finger, the way he played uh, notes with both fingers was the first time anyone had ever really done that in rock guitar. And it became the standard going forward. Now, you know, typical solos are all played that way, but it, he was the first to really, he was an innovator when it came to that. He actually, I learned, I didn't know this, but he actually had, um, uh, I don't know, is three US patents for things that he generated and created uh, to, to be able to you know, get his sound the way he wanted to. So, kind of an innovator, and um, you know, he changed the game with respect to how music was played. This is this is somebody with the X Factor, absolutely.
0: Yeah, and and it wasn't like he was trying to emulate someone else.
1: Yeah, yeah. He you know, built that story. thing
0: from the ground up.
1: He built it from the ground you know, up. Yeah, when he, he could have
0: just things. he yep. could have just been like, "Oh, uh, Jimi Hendrix is my hero. I yeah. want to try and sound like him." Because you think about how many guitarists Jimi Hendrix really was their hero, you know, he's a virtuoso on a guitar, but no, he decided to the point where I'm going to build my own instrument to create my own unique sound.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, funny story so, I'm uh 16 years old, I'm uh, I, I go to my first rock concert ever. And it where is, was it it was as a worcester massachusetts in the in the whatever the auditorium they have there and uh it was uh the 1984 tour of van halen they had just had done released diver down which was a, an, a massive success in fact by the way the four albums after the first one all went multi-platinum but uh diver down was a ginormous success And I saw the next tour, which was 1984. This was where Jump, Panama, all those very famous songs from Panama were played for the first time live, right?
0: David Lee Roth jumping around in his leather pants and his tassel shirt. This is so 80s, it's not even funny. This is
1: 1984, right? And uh, I just funny, because we were on the side of the stage and looking down onto the main stage. And I just remember there was one guy, they had stacks of speakers that went from the stage all the way to to the ceiling of this arena. It was something I'd never seen before. And I remember there was one guy who had seats right in front of the speakers and he banged his head, long hair, the entire concert, the entire show. And it was so loud. I mean, you could feel, you know, you could feel the rock going through your body the whole time,
0: you know, and of course, I can't even imagine that being fun. Ah,
1: 16 years old. Being that guy. Oh, yeah. Well, he probably was on heavy drugs, I'm thinking, but the point is like, like that was a major influence in my life. Just hearing, seeing Eddie Van Halen playing live, uh, playing Eruption, playing, uh, you know, all these famous songs, uh, Jump and all these famous songs live was just a, just absolutely amazing. And it's something that left like a, a real impression on me. And I've, I've, I've always had Van, Van Halen on my playlist and I, you know, that's yep. how many years later. Right. So this is someone that that affected me deeply just by his talent and by the talent of that group, those, uh, those four guys in that band. So pretty amazing, uh, uh group of people. And, you know, uh, Eddie Van Halen was, was just recently named, um, you know, out of the top 100 guitarists of all time, there, he was ranked number eight by Rolling Stone magazine. So, you know, and they were, they're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They got there in 19- That uh, number's 18. low. Yeah, I think it's, I think it should be higher, but- uh, Yeah. But, uh, and um, yeah, so they were Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2007. And and that song we were talking about, Jump, was actually, uh, uh, was considered one of the top 500 songs that helped shape rock and roll. So, you, you know, again, Unique guy, unique yep. sound, and they changed uh, the rock industry just by. I mean, they they were really part of that original Monsters of Rock kind of uh, concept with these so, big
0: bands that could fill stadiums. And do you have a Monsters of a Rock fun, story, Coach Brew? Fun fact. <laughs> 1988 right after i graduated high school uh, a bunch of my friends and i got tickets to monsters of rock which took place in the old rfk stadium yes. former home of the washington redskins uh, which we can't even call them that now we could get canceled for calling them that they're the washington football team football team mm-hmm. and so uh, so before i tell the story tell let's ask parker and he can google it because he's not gonna know the answer what's a van halen logo look like uh, wait. Let me check my every one of my notebooks from high school.
1: I can tell you exactly what it looked like. Cause go every ahead, John school, Van
0: Halen logo.
1: <laughs> every high school drew, student drew it on their notebook yep. over and over. What's again. it look
0: like? It is. Well, hold
2: on. It looks just like it's it's a V with an H beside it, but it looks like it has like wings.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's so it. So it's a V and an H with wings coming off each side. So we go to Monsters of Rock, and this is uh, it's the summer of '88. It's Van Halen, uh, the Scorpions, Dockin a little known bunch of nobodies, um, named Metallica in '88. They were not big, you know. Uh, and then uh, a band called Kingdom Come, who opened for all those guys. You know, so um, we had an absolute blast, and this—I th- th- just remember the merch being so expensive. Like, I wanted a Monsters of Rock T-shirt. I wasn't going to pay like twenty at the time. Twenty bucks is a lot for a shirt back then, Parker. Um, I wasn't about to pay that much for it. So, and now uh, we go out in the parking lot after the concert, and we're on our way to our car, and there are these—you know—guys from downtown Washington D.C. Hawking t-shirts out of a big, like 33-gallon hefty steel sack bag. Yeah. Saying, hey, hey, get your get your shirts here. Get you, you want a shirt? You need a concert shirt? So I'm like, looking at it, holding it up. I'm like, this is the exact same shirt that was like 30 bucks or 20 or whatever it was in the arena. And he's like, I give it to you for five dollars. Five dollars it's yours. I'm like, sure. Hand him a five-dollar bill, gives me a t-shirt, and he takes off and goes down the street to the next schlub. So I thought nothing of it until I wore, I wore it like to the pool, uh, the next day or like that, you know, the next week I'm wearing my monsters, of rock t-shirt rocking this thing, you know, show everybody. I went to the concert, I got the t-shirt and I just remember a bunch of my friends looking at my shirt and laughing their asses off. Like, what's so funny? Like you got a bootleg t-shirt. I'm like, so It didn't say VH. It said HV. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah, because they couldn't rip off the logo. So they did HV instead of VH or, like, their printer was dyslexic. I don't know. But it said HV in really big letters at the top of the shirt and then, like, all the other bands underneath it. All my friends are laughing at me and, like, they're just like, hey, look at his shirt, everybody. Look at the, like. And I thought I was going to be the cool kid. And I look like an idiot because I got a knockoff hand veiling shirt. <laughs> Wait,
2: so did you not notice when you first got it? The
0: I thought nothing of it when I first got it. I'm like, oh, cool t shirt, five bucks deal. Like, I was afraid I was going to get in trouble for buying, you know, like when yeah, you buy tickets yeah. from a scalper, you're like, you know, let's get this done in a hurry and get out of here. Like buying, you know, something off the street like that. And I was like, 60 17 years old you know it wasn't looking closely and-
1: but how's that for hustling for that guy selling t-shirts outside the stadium right yeah. you know like oh you want a $30 t-shirt from inside I love or-
0: those guys or yeah.
1: a $5 t-shirt that I did in my ba- basement
0: and, <laughs> and never- now today like when I go to the NCAA final four any sporting event I never get a shirt in the arena yeah even if it's like my favorite team or like I see something I like, I wait and I get one from the guy carrying the garbage bag out in the parking lot. Yeah. A because it's a great story that brings back memories, but B, like you know, that guy needs the money more than Ticketmaster and you know um the folks at Gillette Stadium need my money for a Patriots t shirt or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Big corporate-
1: Support small business. Yeah.
0: And that is a small business. Right a there. small business, yep.
1: exactly. Well, how many of those guys that are hustling t-shirts eventually make it big? Some don't, but you know, there's a few like the FUBU, the guy who founded FUBU was started. Selling
0: yeah, we should. That, that's give me another whole episode. We got to do that because he's, he's amazing.
1: That, yeah, he's just selling, selling yep. them out of the back of his car and out of you know he on the streets. He was selling t-shirts and and mm-hmm. look what he became, you know. So interesting story so that's my story on van halen an amazing guy really changed changed the entire rock scene um considered one of the most influential guitarists in the history i would say he's number one on my list on uh, uh guitarists uh he's uh someone that influenced my life and uh, the band van halen did uh, obviously all those years uh but that's just because of my age but uh, anyways this guy definitely was a game changer he definitely had the x factor and uh, someone that uh really changed the game in the industry
0: yeah absolutely it's so. a great story too one, one of the things i loved seeing as sad as it was when he passed away uh one of the things i loved seeing were all those tribute videos yeah of whether yeah. it's a famous you know musician playing the the two-hand guitar lick or just you know an aspiring musician who played the guitar you know trying to replicate that same sound like and no one can replicate that same sound but it was just a cool you know sort of salute to uh, salute to a fallen soldier so to speak
1: yeah right yeah. someone who changed the game oh by the way one little interesting point so Michael Jackson you know famous pop star again he's another artist with an X factor that's for sure uh, but you know the very famous hit beat it the guitar solo on that is actually done yeah. by Eddie van Heelen And he did it in one take. He just sat down with the guitar, did it. They pressed record and he played it. And that became the solo, the very famous solo in that song. And um, because because Eddie was on a different label than Michael Jackson, they wouldn't allow his name to be on uh, the credits for that song. So for years, no one knew that he actually did the solo for that song. But um, he didn't. So I
0: heard he just did it for like a case of beer or something. Yeah, exactly. And as a, as a favor to Michael Jackson and yeah. just didn't let his band members know. Yeah, but it was done. Like, in yeah, the it back- makes sense. If they're on different labels, there's all those politics.
1: Yeah, but he just did. He sat down and did it one take. And if you've ever listened to that solo, it's considered one of the best solos ever, ever recorded. So. I,
0: I never knew it was Eddie Van Halen. And, you know, I had posted about that on Twitter when I heard that story. And of course, like all the boo birds come out and the critics and are like, how do you not know that was Van Halen? I knew right away when I listened to that, how, that couldn't be anyone but Eddie Van Halen. Like, whatever, dude, give me a break. Yeah. yeah. But I so didn't, many I people are like, like how did first... you not know it was Van Halen? Like, Yeah. But, it, but you know, again, I just remember at the thought it was time. some session. I figure it's a session musician that Jackson just hired, you know. Yeah, because
1: you think about it at the time, Eddie Eddie's influence was affecting everyone. Everyone was starting to play the guitar like Eddie, so there were a lot of imitators out there. So it yeah. could have been anybody. It could have been a studio musician. I didn't know it at the time. I found out a lot later on that it was Eddie Van Halen. And then when I when you say that and then you listen to the solo, you're like, oh yeah, obviously yeah. it's Eddie Van Halen. But I wouldn't have known that. I didn't know it up front. and I was a a Van Halen fan, you know. Yeah. So. Anyway, so that's a fun fact. Michael Jackson uh, and Beatus. and Parker furiously Googles, who was Michael Jackson? <laughs> He's like, Michael oh. Jackson? Who the hell is no, Michael I, Jackson?
2: I actually just Googled.
0: He's a member of the Jackson 5. He broke out on his own. He wore one white glove and invented the moonwalk. I never knew this.
2: <laughs> well, no, I actually, I looked up uh, like the top 20 80s rock bands. And yep. on the top five into the top twenty. Uh, it said number five was ZZ Top, number four was Aerosmith, number three was Rim, number two was R-
0: REM. Oh, yeah, geez,
2: R-E-M. sorry. REM. i number thought two you was, uh, like, I've never heard of Rim. Who is that? Number two was actually Van Halen, and then they said number one was Guns N' Roses for the 1980s. Oh, movie. come on
0: no you know what's interesting is they all sound unique with the exception of rem yeah you know like they don't even belong in that same class no 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 early rem i i would argue early rem was was decent but well it says number number six
2: like right outside of the top five was uh uh number six being metallica and then number seven being tom petty and the heartbreakers
1: yeah that sounds about
0: right Uh, i would take all of them over rem
1: yeah. What about ACDC's yeah. not on oh, the yeah. list? I'm surprised uh, ACDC's AC/DC. not on that list. They were
2: a power, they were a power band back then. Number number eight was Journey. Uh, number nine was the Motley Crew. Number 10, Holland uh, Oates. Number 11 was Bon Jovi. Number 12, The Cars. Number Where th- are
0: you reading this? Who voted on this? That's what I want to know. <laughs> it
2: it's, it's millennials. It's called Ultimate Classic Rock. That's the this is the
0: website like name. I wouldn't even call Hall and Oates classic rock. Well, that's it's, amazing it's, to me. Well, no, as we digress, that is amazing to me.
2: Well, it's it's the 1980s. Uh, gotcha. They're just summing up bands in the 1980s. So number thirteen okay. was Blondie. Number fourteen, The Pretenders. Number fifteen, Devo or Devo.
0: Devo. Devo. Number
2: six was huey lewis in the news number Mm. 17 was kiss wow uh number 18 the go-go's number 19 red hot chili peppers and number 20 heart so nowhere on that list Um, is acdc no which is here let me i'm gonna pull up so yeah insane yeah top 20 american classic rock bands of
0: the 80s
2: I mean,
1: ACD
0: We need to was, cancel that whole list. Yeah, because they
1: were they were huge. They were selling out stadiums then during that time. Go Go's weren't. I'm, I guarantee you
0: that. All right, here's no, here's, but Blinda Carlisle's cute. Yeah, here's Heart was. Rock.
2: I saw Heart in concert in the eighties. Another list here says the top ten best rock bands of the eighties is number one Guns N' Roses, number two Queen, number three Metallica, number four ACDC, number mm. five Bon Jovi, number six Foreigner number seven, Journey, number eight, Motorhead, number
0: nine, uh, R.E.M., and number 10, U2. Oh. So you think about how many of those, um, you know, same kind of time frame, but how many of those artists are influenced by Eddie Van Halen? Yeah. yeah right?
2: Well, it says here that Eddie Van Halen- I mean,
0: even bands that like are bigger names were still influenced by his style, which right. is fascinating.
2: Yeah. Well, it says here uh number 11 was Ju- Judas priest and then 12 was Van Halen, 13 was White Snake and then 14 was uh Def Leopard.
1: I mean, White Snake had two songs. How could that be
2: even yeah, close yeah, to I don't know. these yeah. these lists are kind of interesting.
1: Def Leppard was a bigger hit than White Snake ever could dream of. So,
2: yeah. But what was interesting
1: to me
0: is... And Judas I'm- Priest is an interesting one, Parker. You'll love them, um, Christian rock band. Uh, if you go on uh, your Spotify and just look up Judas Priest Live at the Vatican, awesome live album. You'll love it.
2: I'll have to I'll have to look it up, but. It was interesting when I was looking this up because it almost seemed like, man, I'm probably not gonna, I probably should look it up. But what I'm gonna say is don't
1: listen to Coach Brew Parker. He's he's
2: playing. Uh, oh, live at the Vatican, Judas Priest. Oh wow, I didn't even like that. Like went over my head. Now that I like, I really think of it.
0: Uh, I saw it, went right over, hit the ceiling, bounced Ooh, off goodness. the back wall. So yeah, we've gone down a horrible rabbit hole of really poor polling. Clearly. Well, and um,
2: it, it sounded like when I was looking this up, it sounded like people were or kind of frustrated that Van Halen wasn't in the top five on some of the lists. And then another person was talking about Def Leppard not being on like the top five. ACDC wasn't on the top five. But, it, was, it was interesting because all three of those
0: bands had what? something super unique to them. So what year did Van Halen become Van Hagar, John?
1: It was after a 1984 tour was done. That's when uh, so uh, David- So does that Cross
0: skew the rankings? Be- because a lot of people, yeah. like, you're either yeah. Van Halen or Van Hagar. And yeah. either, like they yeah. lost a lot of audience. And then they gained new audience from that. So I just wonder if that skews rankings.
1: Yeah, I think it did. I think for me as a Van Halen fan, the worst thing they could ever do was gave Eddie Van Halen a synthesizer, and that's you know, you know, and yeah. Jump was the first song he ever played synthesizer in, and then, you know, and then David Lee Roth left, and you had you had Sammy Hagar, and for me, it wasn't Van Halen. It wasn't that power rock huh. that we all knew from like yeah. the seventies to the early eighties. So it became something yeah. different. You know, I wasn't a huge fan of the music after that, but, um, you know, he's still an innovator and someone that really changed, changed the course of history, really, in, in the music industry. Yep.
0: Yeah, it's In sure. multiple genres, you know, there are plenty of guitarists that, that in other genres that. They use the style. Are, yeah. Yeah. And are fans of his. Yep.
2: yep. It says here, uh, the number so, one. You know,
0: I just realized, Parker. Yeah. Follow me on this, John. Remember the Saturday Night Live skit Unfrozen Caveman? Yes, yes, yes. That's a sort little... of Parker. Yeah. Like we've taken him, you know, this Gen Z and we've dropped him in the 80s. Yes. And he just is like a deer in headlights. Like, who, what? Judas Priest live at the Vatican? Uh, Rim? You ever heard of the band Rim? The Go Go's? Rim? Like, he's Unfrozen Caveman right now. He is the Unfrozen Caveman. Which is kind of fun from. to see. We'll see, because
2: I I oh I've only heard of like like Metallica, ACDC, Def Leppard, obviously Van the Halen. the Hair
0: Bands, yeah,
2: yeah, like all the all the very like popular. Even I mean I feel like Van Halen has even he's spread his impacts even to now. Like his yep. his music and his lifestyle and the way that he did things has impacted rock music now even. Yeah, so absolutely. that's how I kind of know them. And then especially like Journey. Like I actually listened to Journey. Obviously, you got like Don't Stop Believing, stuff like that.
0: Never heard of it. Yeah, I don't know that one. Oh yeah. Yeah.
2: But it says here, it says here on this list, uh, throughout the Van Hagar era, uh, it became increasingly clear that Eddie Van Halen's true or perhaps new love was music, not rock and roll.
0: Mm. Yeah, so. so he got bored With what he's doing It's kind of like Garth Brooks becoming Chris Gaines And having an alter ego Or just, you know, like Dierks Bentley, country artist, records a bluegrass album Yeah yeah, Just I think they total all departure from the traditional lane That you're in Because you're, like, and in a way It's, like, to me that's sad But in a way I totally understand it Because, like, you are playing Probably conservatively 180 nights out of the year the exact same songs yeah sometimes you'll switch it up a little your set list or whatever you got it that's got to get a little stale even if you wrote them and you love them and you have fun and they're high energy and and the crowd singing back to you it's got to get stale and you kind of want to at some point do something a little different yeah, yeah.
2: well and that's in in like, was... i
0: understand it i don't like it
2: but um... i understand it it said here that, uh, oh, here we go. It says here, if conventional song songwriting, songwriting skills helped your hero get where he wanted to go, how can you deny a soaring piece of pop magic like this, which was his number one song was Dreams, supposedly yeah. during the Van Hagar, I guess, era. Yep.
1: And it's just, you know, for Van Halen fans, that is just the worst song
2: ever yeah and that's that's literally what it's saying on here is like there was just such a big split in the scene like as soon as he transferred over to like doing some like his new style it was almost as if his fans couldn't transfer with him
0: so i think there's yeah i think there's a lesson there for everybody you talk about like brands and entrepreneurs and what you become known for and like uh parker do you remember when espn release the cell phone. Mm. Uh, no, uh, do you think I, do you think I'm making that up? I'm just BSing you to see if like you'll buy that and you believe it. You're like, "Yes, did not do that.
2: Yeah. I feel like, I feel like, I don't
0: know. Am I just no, making I can, shit up? I can never, I can never tell if you're, if
2: you're, I feel like I'm about to say something stupid.
0: I, I don't know. I, I've never heard of they, that. So. They legit released the cell phone. It was a huge failure because they're not, uh, a communications technology company. They're a sports brand. They're the number one brand among men. They're not a communications technology company like a Motorola at the time. You know? Uh, you remember McDonald's made pizza and sold pizza? The McPizza? Oh, I,
2: yeah. I do. I actually, I remember hearing about something about McDonald's. Also, they tried selling uh, what's like the, the barbecue McDonald's thing? The, the McRib? McRib. Yeah.
0: that's that's another whole thing that's got a kind of a cult following but their pizza was a colossal failure and is awful because they they didn't stay in their lane and it's kind of what we're talking about with musicians and brands like you become known for one thing and if you deviate too far from that you're gonna lose a big chunk of your core audience that brought you the success that you gained yeah
1: Absolutely. So it's important, you know, important to you know keep your voice, stay in your. I mean, be be careful when you venture outside your lane because it's uh, (laughs) there's a lot of history where people have done that and have failed miserably. So, um, like would peak
0: demand, ever just like uh, form a uh, a a line of lingerie.
1: No, but that's something I've been thinking about.
0: (laughs) I bet you have. So like, it's just. It's not the same audience. No. It's not what you become known for. It's kind of the same thing. I I took it to an extreme, but you have to be very mindful of that, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And to know your audience really well and what they like and what they want and not deviate from that. And I think that's a great segue to the other artist that we're going to talk about, which is Mr. Eric Frickin' Church.
1: Eric Frickin' Church. So let's talk about Eric Church. So Coach Brew, tell us a little
0: bit about Eric Church he is uh well it's interesting that you know one of his albums is named the outsiders and he likes to fancy himself as an outsider in the country music scene he definitely had a non-traditional route you know he's one of those organic artists that you know didn't just show up in nashville get a record deal and have a massive marketing machine behind him he had to do it organically and tour and play in a lot of small venues. And then uh, when he did get a record deal and he had the opportunity to go on tour and uh, open up for, you know, major kind of quote stadium status artists. Um, the fact that Eric Church has, let's just say he has a little bit of trouble with authority and doesn't like to follow rules that really started to work against him. He started, um, his touring with, um, Oh God, what's the name of the band? Rascal flats. He was touring with rascal flats opening for them. And he started to get in a little trouble cause he's going over his time limit played a little long as the opening act. Uh, and then, you know, he got warned about doing that. And then the, the next tour stop, he played a little too loud and got warned about doing that. And just kind of got sick of being micromanaged. Even though, like, you're there as tour support. You're there to support the headliner. Get sick of doing that. So he, um, I think they're in Madison Square Garden. And he decided, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go all over the stage. He got in trouble before and going on parts of the stage. He wasn't allowed on as the opening act. They went all over the stage. They played way too loud. And went way over their time limit and he got fired from the rascal flats tour that night
2: mm-hmm.
0: middle of the tour gets fired from the tour. Like to, to get fired in the middle of a tour that people have already bought tickets for like that takes a lot That's so a lot. someone was interviewing and they're like at what point did you know you're going to be in deep trouble and pretty much going to get fired from the tour he's like oh right away but here's the funny thing about it is he like, no one knew who he was while he was opening for Rascal flats and while he was tour support for whoever he opened up for on a tour before that. But the second that it became national news that he got kicked off Rascal flats tour, everyone knew who Eric church was. Mm -hmm. And um, so he knew right away he was being kicked off the tour and he and his band went back to like touring uh, smaller clubs in an RV instead of a big tour bus and doing large venues. Anyway, it um, he is claiming credit for launching the career of Taylor Swift, because at the time, no, no one really knew who Taylor Swift was. She replaced him on the Rascal Flats tour. And then she went on to have uh, her first album that she had released at the time went, went platinum and as soon as she replaced him he sent her a message saying congratulations and I want one of those platinum albums when you get one from going you know from blowing up on this tour so the fun thing was she sent him one Mm. it was like a year later whenever but like she probably never would have had the opportunity for that exposure if he hadn't gotten kicked and gotten himself kicked off that tour. But what happened was, is he realized he wasn't a fit. That wasn't his audience. If you ever listen to Rascal flats, and if you listen to Eric church, you know, they couldn't be more dissimilar. It'd be like listening to the go-go's and uh, Van Halen. You know, like it's just.
1: What's interesting though, is his story is, is almost similar, which was he had to find his own voice that he, he yep. realized that, um, you know, he was, he was kind of playing underneath somebody else and he was in somebody else's shadows. And he was yep. bold enough to know that he could stand on his own and with his own voice. And he was willing to take the risk, the chance of starting over again and getting off these big stadium tours where he was getting a lot of exposure, but he wasn't able to really show his true voice. And so yeah. it's kind of an interesting story. I didn't know that about him. But it is certainly the mark of an of an X factor person who recognizes that, look, I'm gonna have to make a shift here. This isn't the Mm. way isn't working for me the way I want it to work. And I'm willing to take the risk of starting all over again and and building it up from the ground up because I'm
0: confident enough in my abilities. Yeah, he bet on himself. And Bet on,
1: betting on himself is a great example of people with the X factors.
0: Huge step backwards on paper in theory, but you know, he knew he uh, wasn't the right audience. Wasn't the right fit. He was finding his own people. And a lot of his people were just kind of like disenfranchised outsiders. who didn't really fit in the mainstream. Like you know, he didn't really fit in with mainstream country music. And it was a lot of, you know, uh, work hard, play hard, rebellious, like it, his audience is in his likeness rebellious young men who would like drink and fight at his shows. And, you know, I remember someone asking him, what's it like, uh, what's the audience like at an Eric Church show? He said, you're gonna see all walks of life. It's a lot of people like me, but also you're gonna see, you know, he said, I could tell you at what point during the show, looking at the set list, you're gonna see people having sex in the audience. And then depending on what song's playing later in the show, you're gonna see people, I, I can tell you, all right, here's when people are gonna start fighting in the audience. And he says, it's just that kind of crowd, but he had to go out on his own organically and, and find mm. his audience and grow it from there uh, and take chances. You know, he wrote a song called two pink lines. It was about a pregnancy test and his label didn't want him to release it. He's like, they're like, that's a little too edgy. It's a little too scandalous. And, and he's like, I don't care. He's like, drop me or, include this on the album, uh, included on the album. And I think it might've gone to number one, his mom called to congratulate him. And she's like, I don't really understand the song though. What she's like, why are there, why are they two pink lions? She oh. thought it was two pink lions. And he had explained to his was a song about a pregnancy test, which is kind of funny, but <laughs> like took a chance of that one, his next album, you know, he decided to take a chance uh, outside of the mainstream with another song called Smoke a Little Smoke, which is about smoking weed well before it was legalized or popular. And again, same conversation, you know, we're going to release that, you know, uh, it was all, you know, those songs were, were tested live in shows and he got a great response from the crowds. So he knew he had the confidence to, to bring that to market. I think that's the um, part of the X factor is knowing when to stand your ground and knowing that something is going, you know, having confidence is going to have, you know, uh, a broad appeal because you've tested it. You know, have you have you product tested what you're about to release? Like, do you have any idea something that you're about to launch is going to be popular? Are You just, you know, uh, blindfolding yourself and throwing stuff at the dartboard. You know, he knew it was going to have appeal because he heard people singing it back to him every night in these dingy little, you know, dive bars and honky tonks. So,
1: yeah, he, uh, yep. he had, he was listening to the voice. He, he could hear the voice of the customer right there, yep. real time. You know, as, as an entrepreneur myself, you know, you when you launch a product, you know, you don't know how it's going to work, work out. And yep. I know when we were designing our products, we actually brought in you know, we're, I'm in the electrical products business, we brought in electrical linemen from utilities and say, what do you hate about the current batch of products that exist today? And we took all of their ideas and we put it in the product. And it's yeah. just the idea of just like listening to what, what are some of the concerns? What are, you know, what are, you know, in this case, he's hearing people, you know, cheer for a song yeah. and he knows he's willing to bet on that because he's yeah. listened to the voice of the customer and, and, uh, and incorporated that into, uh, into that next album.
0: So if you don't get anything from this podcast, but one thing, I want it to be what John just shared with you. Take your customers, take your prospective customers, and ask them, "What do you hate about you know these products? What do you hate about you know um, everything vendors in your industry are trying to serve you up and cram down your throat? What's wrong with it? Because we want to." be the one company that actually listens, solves the problem and fixes it. But then you have to be willing to actually put your money where your mouth is and do it. Yeah. But so the inter- rewards are immense, if you will.
1: It's an interesting story, uh, Coach Brew. Uh, there's a guy that he developed a product and sold it on Amazon. And uh, the only thing he did was he went out and researched one star reviews on an Amazon product. And these were, these were, these uh, skewers, these little uh, like you'd make a shish kebab on, the shish kebab yeah. skewers. And he went on and he researched everybody's shish kebab sh- skewers and he read every one-star review and he made a long list. And the main complaint was that they weren't long enough. So he went over to China and found a vendor that could make them longer. And he started selling that on, on uh, Amazon and ended up uh, creating a million-dollar product of slightly longer uh, barbecue skewers. Uh, and, uh, my, my point being is that
0: did, did they have COVID on them? Did it come over with COVID they, they on them?
1: could lick them and get COVID. That was the neat thing about them. They were coated
0: with, See, this. that's the only sad part. Like, it's a great story. <laughs> the sad part is he had them made in China and not the United States.
1: Well, yeah, I know. But you know, the, the point, but being- you
0: think about it, they're too short. Yeah. They rust, yeah. right. right? They right. bend too easily. Yeah. Like I could give you all the one-star reviews. If you go with the wooden ones, they splinter. Yep. Like there's. Yeah.
1: So if you want to research, it's not hard. You got to be willing to do it. Yeah. So if you're looking at trying to develop a product or do something, you could go on Amazon and look at all the one star reviews and you'll find all of your negative feedback right there without actually having to talk to a customer. You know, so the point is, it's like your
0: comp, your competition is paying to do your beta testing for you. Think about that. Right.
1: One star reviews are beautiful. They 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 they're actually probably more important than five star reviews.
0: It's my favorite review I've ever gotten on my Book Stadium status was a one star review. Yeah, yeah, what did it say? Anything This book this book should be burned. <laughs> so I took that one star review and I had a graphic designer put flames on the book cover. I love it. Like it was on fire. And underneath it, I wrote a caption onto an mp3 for an audiobook. Ah, beautiful. And I use that to market my audiobook. I love it. I love it. So you can use you can use the energy from your haters to sell what you got. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, one star reviews are just also fun to read. That's a great rabbit hole. Going
2: on that topic, not to interrupt, but this is actually I looked this up about Eric Church Which is really interesting. Eric Freaking Church. Yeah. D F E yeah, he actually uh he carries this like kind of a fact that people don't know, but he carries a list of people who stood in his way on him. Yep.
0: Ooh. And
2: this is what it has to say. I have
0: that same list on my phone on Evernote.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But it says here, it says, Church still bears the scars from his early struggles in country music, including now infamous time. Now an infamous time when he was fired from Rascal Flats tour early on for flouting their rules. Yep. In an interview with Playboy, he admitted he holds long standing grudges and admires others who do, including Michael Jordan. Uh I've never seen this is Eric, this is
0: like they're both Carolina boys, by the way, so it's no surprise. Yeah. Yeah. But it says here,
2: Eric Church, end quote, it says, I've never seen a person. Oh, wait. This is, yeah, I've never seen a person hold grudges like that, and I like that because I carry a hell of a chip on my shoulder. He says, "Church yep. has memorized memorized list of those who held him back," and he admits, "I carried that list on stage with me." Yep. Now
1: yep. that's a really good. That's a really good. You know, we could jump down this rabbit hole, but I do believe that that is one of the major competitive advantages. If you have a chip on your shoulder, which, by the way, I do. A healthy. Uh, and I know, yeah. And I know a lot of other people that do that are very successful entrepreneurs because they are pissed off because something because someone, something, somewhere, uh said they couldn't do it. And if you want to know what drives me every day, is to prove every one of them wrong. Yep. And it's a powerful motivator.
2: I feel like I feel like it's almost like you have to get people to tell you that you suck, like you absolutely suck in order to propel you past that
0: if you have the x factor that's what will do it uh if someone tells you you suck and you're fragile or you don't want it bad enough then you're probably going to go do something else yeah
1: yeah yeah i think i think it's like it's a test to
0: see how bad you really want it
1: and that's why I think you need to be exposed to full feedback, right? I mean, you know, we, we say sometimes we want to protect children from negative feedback. Well, that might just be the one thing that they need to change, you know. Uh, you're fat. All okay, right, well, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to get in shape and I'm going to be the best athlete that I possibly can be, right? You can only play line. You can't be a running back. All right, well, I'll show you what I can do, you know. So I think sometimes that negative feedback can be a really good and important driver for success, so I say, bring it on! Bring on those one-star reviews, like John said. Absolutely, it's a great, it's a great and powerful motivator, and you can use that, uh, you know, for, to to power your success. You know, I really do believe in that. So, and,
0: and, just- and you know, knowing who your audience is is huge. This is that final piece on church that I wanted to share with everybody. Is uh, you know the way he um, he basically takes what the mainstream is doing and does the exact opposite, which is right up my alley. And that's like my whole playbook. Do the opposite of what everybody else is doing. They're going this way. I'm going that way. Mm Um, you know, at a time when, you know, there's a traditional way that you release music, you share it with the radio stations you put on Spotify and iTunes, uh, you share with the media, you go on those radio tours. And then the last people to get the music are the fans their last ones to get the physical copies of the music. Well, he turned that whole thing on its head with, uh, his album, Mr. Misunderstood. And he took his, um, fan club and shipped every single member of his fan club, a copy of the vinyl record. There's a little genius, like kind of long game genius. I'm sure that's not really why he did it, but I'll get to that. But, um, No one knew they're getting it. They just got it in the mail uh, to hide this whole album release from his record label. When they asked him what he was doing in studio, he told them he was recording a Christmas album and not new music, just Christmas music. It was like in the public domain, which a lot of artists do. So they're like, Oh, okay. Anyway, um, to make sure this information didn't leak out to the public in any way, he had to go buy a vinyl record pressing plant in Germany to have the records made so that that wouldn't like, if it were done in the United States, someone working there would leak that to the American public or to his label or whatever. Wow! So he had that made there on white vinyl and had it shipped to each of his fans in was called the church choir, which is his fan club, which I'm a member of. So you just get this, package and mail from Eric church with a kind of a photocopied handwritten note on yellow, like a yellow legal pad, you know, a legal pad, just like this handwritten note and uh, about like why he released the music the way he did. And it's, you know, for you and you know, he doesn't want anything for it. Just share it. Um, and share it. Everyone did, you know, uh, it was a massive amount of earned media, that you couldn't even have possibly purchased in paid media the amount of impressions he got for free of people taking pictures on social media and sharing it. Or, hey, look what just came in the mail, doing an unboxing video, playing the record on their record player was how most of the American public, you know, fan club members playing the record on record player on social media is how most of the American public found out Eric Church released a new album he did that the day before he was scheduled to appear on the CMA awards or the ACM awards, I forget which. And when he was supposed to announce like album of the year or whatever, um, he sent a proxy up there. And it was the kid from the Mr. Misunderstood video that he found in like Syracuse or Rochester, New York, I think. Uh, His name is Mickey Smithers. And it's just total guerrilla marketing is genius because it's a me 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 kind of moment you get to announce you know every artist goes up and announces one of those awards in every award show of every genre actors announce you know oscars and things for their peers he sent a fan he sent basically the kid that was the poster child for the album up there and everyone's like who the hell is this the kid played uh, you know the kid played in the video. So he paints his fans into the picture. He doesn't ask anything in return. He didn't say, here's a free record. You know, please tweet this 20 times, post it on Instagram five times, you know, plaster it on your Facebook and send a link to all your friends to go buy it. He just gave it to his most rabid fans and let them take it from there. I love it. And I think that's
1: great. It's a great powerful lesson of how to, you know, you want to get noticed. Right. This is how you get noticed.
0: Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's
1: great. Powerful. You know where he went to school, by the way, where he went to college?
0: Appalachian State.
1: Appalachian State, where my son is going, finishing up his master's degree right now. So
0: has your son been to any of the football games? Oh, yeah. All the time. So Eric Church's music is the hype video it on is. the Jumbotron. Yeah. Yeah. It so is. For the games. Yeah. It's yeah. pretty awesome.
1: Yeah. So that's great. I, mean, I didn't, I really didn't know too much about Eric Church. And now that I yep. do, I'm gonna have to look up his music uh parker do you know eric church too much or are you a country music yeah. guy
2: yeah i've listened to a little bit of his stuff i'm not too familiar with with his work but i have listened to a little bit of it
1: oh, good deal well that definitely eric is uh, someone is doing something unique different and uh hey he's selling out stadiums right he's yeah, definitely he's got the x factor absolutely well we got two two great artists uh, we talked about eddie van helen about eric church Uh, Both were innovators, I would say, and uh, both made a name for themselves and both have changed uh, the industry. So that's exactly the kind of people we want to be talking about on this podcast.
0: So really good stuff. Where can people learn more about this podcast? They can learn it
2: at YouTube and Instagram, the X Factor podcast. And if you're watching this on YouTube. Uh, Links to everyone's accounts and the account for this podcast will be linked in the description below the video. And if you're listening to it on Anchor, it'll be also linked in the description on Anchor. So So look to the show notes
1: and um, you'll get links to all of our individual social media accounts. And uh, you get to know John Rennie. You get to know Coach Brew. Know the DFE Parker. You can follow the our DfE. socials there. So we are big on uh, we're big on social media. I mean we're huge. I think uh, Coach Brew, you have a you have a check mark, don't you? You have a blue check mark. I am a Twitter. verified
0: nobody. That's correct.
1: You are you are a blue check mark on Twitter. Uh, some of us just aspire to be there. There, I have a little American flag by my name. That's about all I got. So,
0: I mean I think uh, the big timers have a little blue hat next to their name, just like Coach Randall.
1: Coach. Yes. He's got a blue, blue hat. being
0: coach. Randall verified with a blue hat is where it's at.
1: <laughs> I love it. So follow us on so socials. We do. Uh, we talk a lot about this stuff uh, on our individual social accounts. And of course we do that on the X factor social accounts as well. So subscribe and share. This is the X factor podcast. And uh, because again, we want to find as many as we can P one fans and coach brew. What is a P one fan?
0: Oh, well, originally P1 stood for preset number one when you actually had a radio in your car and you pushed a button to preset your dial to a certain station. Now I guess we would just call it um, podcast number one. What would you call it, John? P1 yeah, now?
1: P1 of your your number
0: Programming one. Programming numero uno.
1: Exactly. You have it. You have it. You're subscribed, so it always comes up on your feed when a new episode drops. So you are a P1 fan if you're subscribed and you're sharing it with your friends.
0: And P1s are uh, the finest human beings on the planet. They uh, they tend to have exquisite taste, be very intelligent, handsome, I might add, and enjoy the finer things in life like this podcast. Absolutely. And rich Corinthian leather and fine bourbon. Absolutely. Exotic cars.
1: And you never know when a white... A vinyl album might show up in your mailbox for being a P1 fan. You never know. I may never know. So,
0: yeah, if you're going to be a P1 of the X Factor podcast, you need to subscribe. You need to share it, rate it, review it, and uh, follow us on socials. That is how you become a P1. If you're a P2 or a P3, we've just given you something to aspire to, and John Rennie has just raised the bar for you in life. So rise to meet it. That's all I got for you. That's it. There you have it.
2: That's the x podcast. You all take care. See you, party people.